everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. When it comes to online shopping, people don't shop on websites. That's just where they transact now. But they're making decisions by what you're talking about. Watching influencers, DMing folks, talking to friends, watching YouTube videos, TikToks. Whereas if you walk into a storefront, for example, you can get all of that figured out in a matter of minutes. You can talk to an associate, they're gonna ask questions. There's nowhere like that online. And that's where messaging channels open up that opportunity for the brand to be part of that purchase decision process. These days, when I'm scrolling through my Instagram feed or looking through the latest TikTok videos, there seems to be ads and influencers pushing products everywhere. And that's not a bad thing, especially if the product's awesome. In fact, more and more often, e-commerce is taking place in channels other than on the brand's website, which is why so many companies are looking for ways to optimize exactly how they execute commerce at the edge. You've probably heard me mention this on the show before, shopping at the edge. It just means meeting customers exactly where they are and letting them buy where they want to buy. And an interesting shopping at the edge example that I recently saw was shopping within Messenger. Imagine Facebook Messenger. You're on there and you're looking at a brand's website. Maybe you're looking at a watch. You're like, hmm, I wonder if that will fit my wrist. And you can just message them and ask. They give you an answer. Yep, it'll fit. Here's the sizing of it. And you can buy right then and there. You don't need a website. You don't need to direct me anywhere else. I'm ready to buy right within the Facebook Messenger. And apparently this trend is only going to grow, which is why I brought Kelsey Hunter to the show, the co-founder and CEO of Paloma. Kelsey and I sat down to discuss why brands should be investing more in conversational commerce. In just the last year, Paloma helped partners convert $9 million in sales. And she explains how that happened by simply diverting ad traffic away from a website and into a chat instead. Plus, we discuss the future of conversational commerce and how the low barrier to entry into the e-commerce industry is forcing everyone to adjust quicker than ever. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review, let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder and CEO at mission.org. Today, we have Kelsey Hunter joining us, the founder and CEO of Paloma. Kelsey, welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. So good to be here. I'm excited to have you on. I was just thinking, I'm like, how do I know I'm actually talking to Kelsey and not a chatbot? She just put up a virtual screen and (laughs) it might not even be Kelsey back there. I'm not sure. 
could be. I, I have a history of, of pretending to be a bot. So I actually, <laughs> I read that. I read that you spent, what was it? Six weeks pretending to be a chat bot to learn how they worked. It's true. That's kind of, yeah. that's kind of a fun jumping off point. Like, tell me a bit about being a chat bot. What's that life like? It is wild. Um, <laughs> so I was, let's see, I was working at a, a startup in New York that uh, we, we offered a mobile commerce solution for, for brands and publishers. And um, so I was really deep in the, the mobile commerce space when the Messenger API opened up. And I was working on a side project, of course, and uh, decided that Messenger would be a good place to try to test things out. And before even building anything, I pretended to be a bot to see how it would work. And it was, that's what sparked all of this. It was like, oh, wait, if you can talk to people directly, people love talking about themselves. I'm asking people questions. They're telling me way too much information. <laughs> and uh, that, that was really the spark for me that said, oh, why are we making assumptions online? We can just ask people and they will very happily tell you things <laughs> to help yeah. figure out what they should buy and why. That's cool. So you were doing this at another company and then you're like, this is a business in and of itself. And that's how you went to create Paloma? Yeah. So it was, it was a totally side project outside of that, uh, the company that I was okay. working with, but all of the pieces kind of tied together for me. So when I left that company's called Button. And when I left Button, um, I did a little bit of other experimentation in the channel, um, actually worked with a team to build a open source software to help people call Congress on Facebook Messenger, which was one of the first software tools that was like a, a MailChimp for the space, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Um, but brought it all the way back around to commerce and launched Paloma at the end of 2017. Cool. So tell me a bit more about Paloma. What is it? What does it do? Paloma helps brands turn Facebook Messenger into a sales channel. So essentially we work with a lot of D2C and econ brands across every product, category, audience, price point. Um, and we help them drive traffic into Messenger instead of their website where their customers get a more personalized shopping experience that's powered by our software. So what that might look like for a furniture brand would be you know, they're running Instagram and Facebook ads and they can set them to open up a messenger conversation instead of opening up a website landing page. And once in messenger, our conversation will ask them questions like, what room do you want to design? What are the colors in that room? Do you have cats, dogs, any other kind of style preferences? And then we'll dynamically route the customer to the right product based off of what they've shared. So by helping the customer make the purchase decision, we're effectively seeing anywhere from two to 10x increases in conversion rate. And that's that's a, a little bit of a recap on, on how that works. That's awesome. I mean, I feel like just thinking about, I follow all these influencers on Instagram and you know they're always selling stuff, which normally I'm like, I want a lot of this. But if you respond to them, they definitely can't keep up. If you're like, does that size, you know, would it fit me? Totally. What, is that off-white? Is that real white? Like, it seems like there's a lot of opportunity everywhere to have a chatbot set up that kind of personalizes the experience and also helps it scale. Exactly. And what you just described is, is one of the reasons that we see so much opportunity in the space. And the reason why customers message in the first place is because when it comes to online shopping, people don't shop on websites. That's just where they transact now. But they're making decisions by what you're talking about, watching influencers, uh, DMing folks, talking to friends, watching YouTube videos, TikToks. So you're basically piecing together all these different parties to figure out, should I buy this? What's the right thing for me? Whereas if you, you know, walk into a storefront, for example, you can get all of that figured out in a matter of minutes. You can talk to an associate. They're going to ask questions. Uh, you can, everything that you just described can happen there. 
Yeah. There's nowhere like that online. And that's where messaging channels open up that opportunity for the brand to be part of that purchase decision process. Um, so instead of leaving it up to all the third parties, the brand can do it themselves and they can scale it through these kind of automated conversations. Very cool. And how do you go about setting up the responses? Is it very, you know, custom based on the product? Like, do you work with a brand early on to be like, here's probably what they're going to ask you or they're telling you like, how, what does that look like behind the scenes? Yeah. So we definitely curated a lot to the brand, a lot to the product type and to their customer demographic. So for example, Facebook recently uh, published a case study of the work that we do with Lalo, which is a, a brand that sells high chairs, strollers, basically goods for families and their, and their kids. Um, and so they're really great products, but it's actually not so much about having a lot of SKUs. They, they don't have a ton of SKUs. It's more about why should somebody buy this Lalo stroller and how is it going to fit into their family and lifestyle? So essentially what we do is we'll work with them, look at the products that they sell and try to understand their customer type. In their case, a lot of their customers will buy for themselves, but there's a pretty good chunk that are gifting. So for example, the first question we ask is, is this for you and your family or is this for a gift? Um, who are you gifting for? And then as customers answer these questions, we can speak to how it'll fit into their lifestyle. So um, how old is your little one? Are they eating solids yet or not? Um, and depending, we don't actually need the customer to ask questions because by us asking questions first, we can preemptively answer how the value prop works for them, how it fits into their life. Um, and so we can say, well, they're eating solids, it's getting very messy. Um, this high chair is very easy to clean. Mm -hmm. And so you're effectively accomplishing both along the way. Um, basically just a really good sales conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's really smart. And I think it's a different mindset where a lot of times when you think about chatbots, the consumer has to initiate the conversation, has to kind of think of the questions and it makes me even think right. about when I'm hiring, uh, I'm trying to think what I was hiring, but they're like, oh, do you have any more questions? And I'm like, well, what do people normally ask you? Like, what's the normal questions? Because I don't know what to ask you. Like, if, I'm, should I ask? Yeah, like yeah. if I'm buying a house or whatever it is, like what, what are the yeah. top 10 questions you get? And so that's great being like, we'll do all the work for you. Here's some of the you know questions that we know will start a conversation. So it's actually less work and less cognitive load where you can get to the end point and still leave being like, I know what I'm talking about now with this product. Exactly. That's 100% right. And it's, it's actually a really classic UX design issue, um, which is actually my, my original background. So basically, you know, if you, when it comes to any digital interface or any interface at all, if you don't know where you can go, you're not really likely to do it. You're not going to walk up to like a pitch black tunnel and be like, yeah, I, I feel confident walking into that. Yeah. Um, that's kind of like a, an open freeform bot conversation or like, you know, you get on a, a customer support call and it's like, what can we help with? And you're like, well, depending on what I answer, what's the likelihood you'll have any idea of yeah. what I'm asking? Yeah. Um, it's just, it's not great. So we find that structuring and providing a really clear interface for the customers to navigate also makes a huge difference. So a lot of, I mean, we talk about this a lot on the show that shopping is moving to the edge. You know, everyone is shopping on social, they're shopping on Amazon, Walmart, it's everywhere and not always on the website anymore. Do you think that websites are going to become like a secondary thing where it's like, yeah, it's a nice to have, but like people are actually on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, you know, going directly to Amazon. They're not really going to always go right to your website. That's exactly right. It's going the way of retail. And that's not to say it's going to go away. It's just that it's not the primary anymore. We, we see a website as like 
a catalog and it's a transacting location. And um, in a lot of cases that's useful, but it's not necessary anymore. Mm -hmm. And we see that with how new sellers are starting today. So especially with COVID, everything accelerates so rapidly. But one of the really interesting trends is you've got new shops opening up just with Instagram pages and saying, hey, DM me um, for this product and I'll send you a PayPal link. Uh, I think those kind of like very low tech the kind of indicators of the fact that that's, that's where the market is heading. And um, I think you're hundred percent right. The website's really not, not necessary. And there are tons of great antique shops I follow in New York that are, are doing just well without it. Yeah, that's cool. So what other trends are you seeing among sellers right now? Maybe anything new popping up where you're like, yeah, pre-COVID, we actually weren't really seeing this. And now there's a big trend to just opening an Instagram, you know, page and selling yeah. through DMs. Like what other things like that are you seeing? I think that's huge. I think that I'm really interested in these like future QV, QVC type of models, but huh. that's just because I, I grew up watching those. I don't know. If you, yep. did, did you ever watch the knife show? Uh, I did not watch that, but I definitely. The knife show was wild. <laughs> what so is the knife show? Have, I'm intrigued now. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, I think it was like, it was on a lot when I was in college. We'd always end up like late night. It, the knife show would end up on at some very late hour. And it was just like, hey, here's some knives. And we're just going to cut all sorts of stuff with these <laughs> knives. Like the silliest things. <laughs> It was so funny. But, Can I see the blender um, show? I, I think, it wasn't called the blender show, but where they put yes, like random yeah. things in a blender and I'm like, well, they blend exactly, it. it the same concept. How much time do we <laughs> have on our hands? Apparently. <laughs> it was so silly. It was like cutting shoes and weird things like that. You're like, oh, this is it. the humor of it. I think is really fun. And I think that online, we're seeing a lot of that like humor come into commerce in a way that I think is just, it's really fun. And that's really what it should be. So I, I like things like that. Um, but I, I do think that the the new selling methods are probably some of the most interesting things to me is just, you know, what's the what's the version of opening a store today versus uh, before? And like the barrier to entry is just so low now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah, cool. And how do you advise brands to being proactive when it comes to starting conversations versus being like reactive and just taking it inbound? Because I, if I'm thinking like I'm a new brand, I don't have any inbound. So like, is there a way to be proactive and like reach out to people with your product? Yeah. What's really nice is that these channels are opt-in first, which I think is really important for there to be a great customer experience. If we want these channels to succeed, if we want these brands to succeed, um, we need to make sure that we're being really mindful of the consumer. But what's really, really nice about Facebook Messenger while it is tough to work on another platform, play by someone else's rules sometimes, uh, there's a ton of great benefits there. And one of them is the acquisition funnel. So brands are currently running ads from Facebook and Instagram and stories and you know, all those normal places. And all they have to do is set up the exact same ads, but they can change the destination of the ad click to open a messenger conversation instead of a website. And so we're able to say, hey, we're basically giving you a new ad type that you can leverage. It's going to drive to a higher converting destination. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason not to try that, right? So yeah. um, so basically, it's, it's a win-win from the standpoint of uh, it's really easy to test. We can guarantee traffic and make sure that we're like properly vetting it and controlling the volume. And you can compare it one-to-one to your ads that click to your website. So it makes it really easy for brands to get started. And it makes it easy for the consumers because they're doing what they normally do, which is click on ads. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's that's the most common way to start. There are other ways of 
of getting customers into the channel. You can do it with, with short links, with QR codes, link from an email, a pop-up on your website. There's a lot of different methods there. Um, and we have partners that, that do all of what I just described. But ads is, is, is a really common format because, again, it's just a very seamless acquisition funnel. Mm-hmm. Cool. Is there anything that brands are doing right now in Messenger or Instagram DMs where you're like, that's actually the wrong way to do it? Like anything that you would advise brands <laughs> not to do or have seen kind of things going wrong? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> um, I think... Not doing anything at all is what I would say is the worst thing because whether that's Instagram DMs and you're just not responding to the people that that message you there, and that's a huge lost opportunity. And I we understand that it's really hard to scale responding to people individually, which is why platforms like ours can help. But um, just not doing anything is, yeah, you're losing customers every time you don't respond to them because they want to engage with you directly for a reason. And every time they do, there's an opportunity for that to become either a customer or a recurring customer. So yeah. I'd say that's probably the worst, but in terms of like actually doing things that are are wrong, uh, I mean, I just, I don't like any of the spammy stuff and I don't like any of the things where like, it's not clear to the customer what's going to happen. Those are the things that I find frustrating, but yeah, in terms of how to do that, well, there's not as much going on of that anymore because Facebook really did crack down on some of it. So mm-hmm. I'll say what what I didn't like before was uh, <laughs> there was a trend where there's an opt-in checkbox that you could put on your website that basically said, I'm opting into Facebook Messenger with a business. Mm-hmm. And that's still something that you can use today. But at the time, you could actually put it on your website pre-checked. So oftentimes, customers wouldn't necessarily notice it or see that it was there or see that they had opted into something. But what was even worse was there were lots of sites that were putting them behind the scenes. So it wasn't actually visible on the page at all. So a customer would add something to their cart. And by submitting that add to cart, it was opting them into messages without them knowing it. And then they would get messages later if they abandoned their purchase that were like, hey, here's a 10% off, here's a whatever, go buy that thing you were looking at which inherently is not a bad workflow, but to do that without letting the customer know that's what's going to happen, yep. really not that's great. great. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I'd say that's like the worst thing I've seen in this space, <laughs> but yeah. you can't do that anymore and I'm grateful for it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. I mean, how do you keep up with the changes that Facebook's going through? Because it seems like they've been definitely on like a roller coaster where, you know, very popular. And then like, I feel like they kind of went through a trough where it's like, does anyone use it anymore? And now I feel like it's growing again, you know, even among my friends, it's like people are using the groups now and messenger, like how the do you, are huge. yeah, I mean, that's the only reason I go on there for the most part, but how do you keep up with, you know, what they're even doing behind the scenes and yeah, how the buying groups on there are just changing and then coming back and then leaving and then they're at TikTok. Like, how do you keep up with that? Yeah, I, it's definitely, I think it could, it can be really easy to get distracted or feel like that's very volatile. The approach that we've taken has actually just been to have our own point of view that is rooted in something just so fundamental that it doesn't matter what the policy changes are really, like we won't be disturbed by them essentially. So we've looked at Facebook Messenger as a sales channel since day one of the business and we've been around just over three years now. And you know, all of the platforms that were popping up at the time were MailChimp's for Messenger, where abandoned cart notifications and things like that. And that that is really easy to get disrupted by policy changes. But 
if you're fundamentally saying this is a place where you can more effectively get a conversion from a customer and have a better experience for them, there's actually not a lot that that Facebook could do that would really interfere with that in a way, unless they just fully said, hey, you can't actually use the API at all anymore. If they just shut the API <laughs> down, then it'd be like, okay, fine. But even if that were to happen, the US market for messaging is inherently multi-channel. So Messenger is not the first or last for us. It's one, it's going to be one of many. So that's kind of the way that we approach it is, yes, we keep up with the trends. We are a platform partner. So we're, we're pretty in tune with the roadmap and what's going to be happening there. Um, and that's really important. The relationship is really important to make sure that you can prepare for your business. But at the end of the day, I think having a really just underlying like, fundamental platform approach to what we're doing um, enables us to avoid a lot of the mishaps that we've seen affect other business models. Yep. Cool. And you just mentioned like messaging is kind of just the first. Are there other areas that you feel like there's a lot of opportunity that brands can be selling in right now that maybe, or maybe it's not even ready yet, but in the future it's coming down the pike? <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think anywhere where consumers and brands can have like a direct conversation, you're going to see things evolve for that. And it, it might depend on the platform if the platform is like incentivized towards it or interested in it. Like Facebook supports this because they believe in messaging as the future of consumer behavior. Um, it's, it's something that's been around since the beginning of the internet. We've been chatting, right? So um, I don't think that's going anywhere. But Facebook is also, you know, really highly motivated to monetize on it. And so, um, so there's opportunity there. But would someone like Discord do something like this? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure if they're like motivated towards that or if that's part of the business that they want to be building. Mm -hmm. But I really do see that any messaging channel where you can have that kind of interaction, there's no reason not to produce a better shopping experience there and um, and try to scale that. So yeah, it's kind of infinite, yeah. <laughs> I think. I wonder if chatbots, uh, like on websites, like native chatbots have kind of muddied it up a bit where it's like, we've all had that bad experience with the chatbot where they're like yeah. talking and you're like, get, get away, get away. Like, you're not going to be able to help me. I already know it, Verizon, stop. Like, don't talk yeah. to me. Like, I wonder if that has kind of hindered the market, you know, with certain people being open to buying via chatbot when they've had experiences that are like subpar on maybe, you know, certain websites. Oh, absolutely. And that's, yeah. So at the, at the start of these platforms opening up and these APIs opening up, you had people making bots left and right, and they were very low quality. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, it really did. It, it kind of tarnished it a little bit. I think it tarnished it a bit for the consumer and for the brand because, you know, when the, when the things opened up, brands started testing things and they weren't getting performance results and you know, it wasn't their fault. It's really hard. It's like, it's like launching your first website and not working super well. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's like, well, yeah, this is a totally new, if this were at the start of websites existing, it's like, yeah, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's tough to figure it out. It's a whole new learning curve. So I think that in terms of, what can happen there. Um, it is very easy to kind of tarnish the reputation, but again, it's not going anywhere. So as long as, again, you have an opportunity to drive a better experience, you should keep iterating on that. Um, and, and again, it's like, if you have customers that are willing to match you directly, it's always an opportunity to do better and to turn them into a better customer for you as well. Yeah. So there's a, also a really huge difference between like the customer support experiences like that and these types of sales experiences, I, I think there's a pretty clear line between the two. And 
a lot of that depends on the customer's intent. So like if you're coming from an ad uh, to shop Joybird, for example, you know that's what you're doing and you know that that's what you're being helped to do and it's pretty straightforward. But if you're going in with like any level of support need, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to get that wrong, (laughs) which is really tough. Yeah, someone's already coming in with a heated mindset. And yeah, yeah. one wrong word from a chat bot. Ooh, I'm hot. Ooh. <laughs> exactly. So the one thing I think about too is the payment piece and how to make sure that customer journey is frictionless because, you know, even when I hear, oh, some brands are, you know, have like a PayPal link, which I think is great for like an MVP, like get something out there. Yeah. I also, you know, shudder because I'm like, do I even know my PayPal login? Like, oh, like how do you, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, how do you think about um, making the checkout experience frictionless where it's not a million different options and, you know, people know yeah. it's going to be fast and easy? Right. So currently we actually drive to checkout on the brand site mm-hmm. and we find that works really well because, you know, the trusted destination, you have all of the tooling and UI that you need to be able to have a, a good seamless checkout experience. And that works really well. Checkout is on our roadmap to be able to process that and manage that. Um, and we, w- we won't be a, like a payment processor. We have partners we're talking to on that end. But in terms of the checkout, there's a lot of ways to, to handle that. And I think that there's been so much best practice learned from mobile shopping as it is that can be leveraged there. Um, and there's also a ton of testing opportunities, but you know we're not trying to reinvent wheels here. I mean, yeah, that whole space is evolving so quick. And yeah, just talking to the team at Fast and continuing to hear and see what they're doing with the one-click checkouts. I'm like, it seems like there's such yeah. an opportunity to have that right in, you know, every form of like, you've got your cart already loaded in like your Instagram DM and you can just hit checkout and yes. all your payment information saved and you're off, you know, on to the next Instagram 100%. site. <laughs> <laughs> there also seems like there's a good opportunity for Amazon there. I mean, I, I always look at all those Q&A sections where, you know, someone's oh, yeah. like, oh, I'm like, how much time do I spend looking at toothpaste? Is it fluoride free? I mean, this is for my kids. Is it fluoride free? Does it not have this, that, that, all these questions. And I'm actually going through the whole product page for a thing of toothpaste. So much time wasted, yeah. but it would be really nice to have a messenger on there where you could just, you know, say, hey, does this have this, this and this? Okay, no, instead of me trying to zoom in on the ingredient list or like look at all of the reviews for something that's like, six dollars or whatever it may be yeah exactly um i I hope amazon's listening they should come talk to us (laughs) um we haven't seen anything quite like that but we have talked to brands that sell on amazon and we have done experiences in messenger the link to amazon products so Mm -hmm. that is something that we've experimented with before and i think that to your point why scroll through a million questions and answers that aren't necessarily relevant to you when one might be when you could just have the brand get to know you better and then tell you what you need to know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So when you're first starting to work with brands who are implementing chatbots, what kind of metrics do you maybe advise them to look at to see if it's going well or not? Because a lot of people I could see being kind of new to this, not even knowing like, well, what should I expect for a conversion or like, what's good, what's bad? Like, how do you advise them around that? It's a great question. So first and foremost, and I think this is a little bit of what might've gone wrong in the early days of the channel, businesses care about performance. They care about conversions and CACs and returns <laughs> um, and all those things. So uh, we want to make sure we're we're mapping to that because if you don't, then at the end of the day, is it going to be worth your time if it's not performing on those metrics? Probably not. 
So first and foremost, we can own conversion rate. That's the KPI that we really truly measure against because essentially we're, we're saying if you drive traffic here instead of your website, it's more likely to convert. That's the, that's our thesis. And so if that's true, um, that's what we're going to start measuring against. And we'll do that by looking at what's your conversion rate from a standard click to site ad. So purchases you're getting out of link clicks. And then when you run a click to messenger ad, we'll do the exact same thing. How many purchases are you getting out of those ad clicks? Uh, and that should be able to tell us if it's a higher converting channel for you. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, we've seen anywhere from you know 50% increases to 10x increases in one case. So and anywhere in between. So it's not abnormal for that to be the initial result, but then in terms of the other things like CAC and ROAS, they should benefit from that better, that better conversion rate. So it's not, it shouldn't be approached necessarily differently than any other like conversion test that you're running. That being said, we have a ton of insight into the full funnel that we can leverage to optimize. And so all of our partners start with at least a three-month program because we know it takes time to warm up and we want to make sure we can iterate. And we do that on a weekly basis. So you might start with X result in month one, uh, but at the end of month three, it should be much better. And so the way that we can do that is looking at everything from a customer clicks on an ad, they land into Messenger, do they respond to the first message, which basically opts them into the channel? Are they completing like a quiz, if there's a quiz or personal shopper? Are they clicking on products back to the website? And then are they adding to cart? And then are they purchasing? So we have a slightly different funnel. You're going to get your ad performance from Ads Manager and see the link clicks and add to carts and purchases. Paloma's going to see everything in between. So we'll be able to know exactly where people are dropping off and why and be able to iterate on that much more efficiently than if it were traffic going to a website. Where are they clicking? How are they browsing? There's like a ton of more kind of opaque data from a website side. From our end, we can literally just see okay, you have too much drop off on the first question. So let's not ask that question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, or, hey, everybody is answering the same way to this one question. That doesn't need to be there. Yeah. Um, or, you know, people aren't clicking on the products. Maybe we need different product matches or whatever that may be. So we'll be able to get a lot more of a finer detail on that. And we have benchmarks for each. So we expect our partners to get at least a 30% opt-in rate, 80% completion on any type of quiz or personal shopper experience. And then at least 50% of traffic clicking back to the website. And then from there, add to carts and purchases depends on what they would normally expect to see. That's great though. I mean, that's, it's good to know metrics like that to aim for. How do you plug into a yeah. brand's inventory system and then also make matches that will be something that I want to look at? I can just imagine me yeah. going in there and not knowing what I ever want, being like, I want a pink shirt. And then someone showing me something and me being like, ew. Not that one. Like, how do you guys <laughs> personalize it and show something I want, but also make sure that you're not tapping into inventory that's like out of stock? So we basically can ingest inventory into our system, keep that up to sync, keep that availability up to sync. Um, and so anytime that we're building experiences, you're able to make sure that it's the right things getting shown. In terms of what to show customers, based on their selections, we have this like smart matching dynamic product matching system where basically the customer's responses get associated with the inventory. So all of your boots are associated with like a boot selection or all of your things that come in bright colors would get associated with like bright colors if you were asking about color preference. 
And some of these qualities are not things that would normally be tagged onto your inventory. So we're basically expanding on that. So we make the association between the two. And as customers make the selections, we basically just filter down and display all the things that would then relate. So like Annie Swimwear, for example, if you chose one pieces and some coverage and a lot of support, you're only going to see the products that apply to all of those qualities. And it's really simple for us to create those. So um, something like that can take like 10 minutes to build, whereas a quiz to put on a website can cost thousands of dollars yeah. and take two months. Um, and so that, that's kind of like part of the magic and secret sauce of our software. Yeah, that's cool. I was just thinking about, okay, to even create that kind of filtering and you know navigation options and all that could take a long time and tagging yeah. it and making sure that it you know it's actually can be searchable. And then if you can just have it yeah. in a DM or you know Messenger, that seems pretty game-changing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really fun. It's a very simple, we have like our own drag and drop interface to just um, drag product onto the selection options. They're tagged with that in the future. And then as customers answer, we just know what to show them. Cool. So where do you see the future of commerce headed or, you know, chat bots and commerce intersecting? Like, what does that look like to you maybe three to five years down the road? Or where do you hope it looks? Really, and I, again, I like to look to what people are doing now when they're just starting out and also at other markets. So really in terms of the future of commerce, we believe very strongly that it's on messaging channels, that that is the next storefront. And so what does that look like? It's, it's customers going to DMs, it's brands driving traffic to DMs and customers just getting much better shopping experiences there, converting there checking out there Mm -hmm. (laughs) and new stores not having to even open up a website. Again, I don't think websites going to necessarily totally go away, but it's just going to be a a smaller part of the puzzle. If you look at, you know, what, what's uh, gone on in other markets like China with WeChat, they're way ahead of the game and that works really, really well. And it's a huge chunk of the commerce ecosystem out there. So we've been a little bit slower to that, but it is happening. Um, It's happening a little bit more multi-channel. And I think that's really interesting. And that's a really fun challenge is that it's not just, you know, we don't have the the monolith app that yeah, um, will do it all. I mean, I, I think that's good. Yeah, I think that's good. Not just <laughs> yeah, that I, think, I think it's great because, you know, there's so many, everyone ha- likes to have their own like different way. And it's, we're always getting new social networks and apps out there. And it's, mm-hmm. it is fun. It's, it is really fun. So basically, you know, I'm not sure how many different tools there will be in the future, but we produce, We very strongly believe that messaging is the next channel and destination for commerce to happen, um, and we're effectively building the platform to power that. Yep, yeah, that's great. It definitely begs the question about keeping things organized when you're selling on so many different channels, and you know, there's yeah. probably going to be <laughs> dozens of messaging platforms that people are using. I'm just imagining a brand trying to keep up, where you know they go from selling on their website and then maybe dabbling in Amazon, maybe on Walmart. And then all of a sudden it's like, and now, you know, you can sell on Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. Like, how do you think a brand would be able to keep up? Or do you see anything right now, like any innovations that are allowing brands to organize everything in one central place that they can kind of keep track of what they're doing? There are definitely a lot of interesting tools. I think that what comes before the tools are just the, the, the people expertise, right? So I think that's what we're seeing services and agencies that will help with kind of coordinating all of those things or know how to best launch on Amazon. And then once you've launched on Amazon and all these other places, 
then you go, okay, well now I have everything in too many places. I need a more scalable system. And that's when you start seeing softwares get uh, put in place. And I don't think any come to mind immediately, but I think there are some really great tools that are coming up to try to glue things together and piece together the, basically to piece together um, all the different supply chain and logistics issues. And there's some really great things out there for that. But we're also seeing new commerce platforms that are inherently taking those things in mind. So we have a lot of commerce players that exist that are trying to catch up and trying to add on these different channels. But then you have new players that are from day one saying, we know it's not just about one place. So you've got things like, you know, headless commerce and no code tools and platforms like Paloma that will from day one say, hey, this isn't just about a single source of shopping. It's about a lot of different channels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. All right. Well, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round was brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Kelsey? (laughs) You look a little nervous. Why? I I don't know. It's a little scary. It's a little daunting. Okay. No, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. What (laughs) one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? I'll just be repeating myself a little bit, but I think, I think messaging is it. Um, it's, it's already been exploding pretty quickly and it's growing faster than ever. We drove almost 9 million in partner revenue last year. Uh, and that's just as a, a small early stage team. So there's a lot ahead of us. Yeah, that's cool. What one thing do you not understand today that you wish you did? Ooh, um, uh, just so many people things. People things? <laughs> I just, I find people so fascinating. Um, I would, I mean, I'm constantly seeing how people chat, but I, I just love, I would just love to talk to to people about their experiences with all of these experiences and with all these different kind of shopping channels. And I think that that it's not something that I don't understand. It's just something that I'm always eager to understand people's behaviors more. So that'd yeah. probably be it. That's a good one. What's up next on your Netflix queue? Ooh, um, I'm so behind. Uh, <laughs> I need to watch Bridgerton and literally everything Good. else. I've been doing a Buffy rewatch. So I'm just like living in a, a, a very different time. <laughs> what is uh, a book that has really left like a very big impression on you? You're like, I always think back to this book for either business or life. Oh, that is a great question. Um, I'd say one of the ones that comes to mind, Italo Calvino. <laughs> Okay. I actually don't know that one, I don't think. Um, is the, he's the author. And basically, it's just a, it's a person telling stories about visiting a lot of different cities. And when I was younger, I found that, you know, when you're reading, it's all about picturing what's going on. Um, and as someone who, if you didn't grow up being able to travel a lot, it was just, a, it stuck with me as like, I want to be able to do that someday. But also just being able to picture it from a book is really, really nice. I still have like the images in my head of of different passages from that. Oh, that's cool. All right. And then the last one, what's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you? Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) I feel like people are so nice. (laughs) Um, What is the nicest thing someone's ever done for me? Oh gosh. Um, There's too many things. Wow. You must be a very, I mean, people are sending all this nice stuff your way. (laughs) Who are these people around you? Can I I have some? when When you run a business, um, or when you start a business, it's all about getting help. That's that's the best way to be able to succeed is knowing what, what you don't know and how to get help. And 
So I will say I'm very good at getting help, but (laughs) what's like the biggest part of that is having people be really, be really nice and great. And so there, there are just a lot of people that have helped along the way that I literally would not, you know, be where I am without that. Um, you know, from, from little things like making the introductions that, you know, not everyone has access to the networks that you need. And so, uh, the people that, you know, believed in, um, in me mm-hmm. more than the business or more than anything else, um, that's really huge. And so I've got, I've just got like some really great, great people that helped along the way. And so I don't, I can't pick a single thing, but yeah, that's- I'd say like some of our investors, some of just the people I've worked with in the past and that really just root for you and we'll be there when you say, I have no idea what I'm doing (laughs) or how does this work or anything else. That's awesome. It's a good answer. All right, Kelsey. Well, it's been a blast having you on the show. I love learning about Paloma and your story. Where can people find out more about you and Paloma? So you can learn more about Paloma at getpaloma.com, G-E-T-P-A-L-O-M-A. And me, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Kelsey Hunter. I think it's usually Kelsey AH. <laughs> um, so feel free to message me, check out the site, chat with us. Uh, we're always around. Amazing. Thanks so much. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.